All right, Ian. So I uh, I know I'm throwing a fastball at you now, but I actually decided to take over the summary for this one. Um, oh, okay. Okay, go yeah. for it. So you got Lori Strode, right? Yep. And she's having these nightmares, and there's this crazy freaking dude coming at her. And turns out he's a pedophile or something. I don't really know. But long story short, he ends up killing people. And that's the whole <laughs> story. <laughs> So, All right. I mean, that's a pretty good summary of um, some movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. You know, honestly, though, this does remind me of a really good idea. Um, uh, like um, I had, I, I think I had it. Um, hopefully I'm not stealing credit from someone, but, <laughs> uh, but, but maybe Amelia had it. It's always difficult because I talk, I talk to Amelia about so many different things. Sometimes I forget what, what, what was her idea and what was my idea. But I think this one was my idea. But my idea was um, that at some point we should do like an episode uh, where I base my movie summary on your summary of the movie. <laughs> oh, what an idea, um, dude. And, and I also base my review of the movie on your summary. So oh. like, really, I just completely rely on you for the episode. Wow. No, that, that, would, that would be like the, um, what is it? The Nazi party on... <laughs> it would be just like that. <laughs> Mar- Marshall's editing these episodes now, by the way. So uh, if anything's wrong with them, it's yeah. not because we're bad at this now or that we forgot that how to be good at this. But it's at really all of my, it's all on Marshall's editing. And I was also thinking, like Ian has had to uh, like censor me so much in the past. Kind of <laughs> yeah, no. I was like, I'm the filter now. What does this mean for us? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. If if you suddenly find yourself starting to dislike Marshall more, it's, it's really like more than fault. you had in the past. <laughs> oh um, man, this could this could be the end of Paths of Fury. Yeah, that's right. About, well, you know, we're about to be canceled. Your family's gonna cancel me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that is our biggest audience right now. So <laughs> that's true. That that could really wreck us. Um, uh, well. Anyways, Ian, let's move right on into it with your sweet, sweet summary. Maybe it'll be better than mine. Right. Wait. Um, I think <laughs> we haven't even introduced the movie. Oh, do we have to do that still? Yeah, we uh, we, we we got it. I think uh, you, in our traditional uh, structure, this would be our cold open, <laughs> and um, and oh, wait, then we would go, and then we would start with like, um, right. we we would well, start with like. Hey everyone, welcome to Paths of Fear. everyone uh, this is future ian and i'm re-recording the introduction of this episode because we were a little bit rusty when we recorded this originally uh even with this re-recording you will notice that we're still getting back into things uh so take it easy on us
Uh, but with that out of the way, welcome to Paths Fear, the definitely not weekly podcast where Marshall and I give our takes on horror movies and explore the opinions of our audience. Today, we're taking a look at Friday the 13th from 1980, a classic slasher horror movie written by Victor Miller and Ron Kurtz and directed by Sean S. Cunningham. And now, back to past us. All right, are you ready ready for this teaser? Oh, I've been ready, Ian. All right. (laughs) It's been over 20 years since Camp Crystal Lake closed, following the mysterious death of one camper and two counselors. Yet, with the help of a new staff, the camp prepares to open for the summer of 1980. As the teenage counselors arrive at camp, their excitement builds. What could be better than getting paid to hang out with friends at a beautiful lakeside camp in the middle of nowhere? Yet, after an ominous warning of a local resident, an aura of unease begins to spread as the sun sets on Friday the 13th. Exactly. (laughs) All right. um, uh, What score did you end up giving this movie? Ah, geez, I can't believe I'm going first as well. I I just I I feel like it's weird to ask myself if I want to (laughs) get my score. (laughs) So you might be wondering what score I give this. Personally, okay. So I ultimately I give this movie a six and a half, but that should be said that that is a lot of like I'm gonna call them like give me points. Because uh-huh. of how early it was and how much it's done for the genre as a whole and just for being like a springboard for slasher genre in general. It deserves a lot of respect for what it did in its time. Um, but that being said, the movie itself, I, I, well, I, I had only watched it for nostalgic reasons. And I didn't even see it when it first came out. It just be nostalgic of like, wow, look, history being made. Not even. I wouldn't watch this movie if I'm like, damn, I really want to watch a good movie. Because then right. I watch like a really good movie, you know, not this. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, yeah, I, I I feel like I have pretty similar feelings. Um, I gave this movie a six out of ten, uh, and for pretty similar reasons. I will say there, you know, and, and we'll get in, we'll get into this more, but um, there were there were a few things in this movie that did pleasantly surprise me. Uh, you know, because I am not at all against giving old classics, uh, you know, really low scores if they're bad. Like I. I, I hated Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, I don't yes, even sure. completely remember at this point why it was so bad, but I know it was awful. Yes. Um, so, I mean, the fact that we're giving this like a six plus, I think means that out of the classics, this is a pretty good one, uh, even from just a watching experience perspective. Um, but there's there's definitely a lot of things that hold it back. Um and uh you know that that really keep it from reaching it and you know of course being the springboard you know it you know it did create the environment necessary for so many much better horror movies to end up being created later um so you know it's kind of unfair to it in a way but at the same time like you know we we (laughs) we got to judge movies based on the their actual merits to some degree so exactly yeah um all right can we finally do the Gosh dang summary now, Ian? Would that be yep. okay with you? All That's right. right. Okay. I'll, I'll, I will read the summary right now. It's late at night at Camp Crystal Lake in 1958. 
An unseen person stalks through the cabins of sleeping campers. Nearby, two counselors sneak away from a campfire sing-along to have sex. But before they can even undress, they're attacked and killed by the unknown individual. We weren't doing anything. We were just messing up. <laughs> 22 years later, on Friday the 13th of June 1980, a young woman named Annie walks into a small diner to ask for directions to Camp Crystal Lake where she'd landed herself a job as the camp's main cook. The diner's patrons are shocked to hear that the camp is reopening, yet one of them still offers to give Annie a lift halfway. On their way, an older man by the name of Ralph pulls Annie aside and warns her that the only thing they'll find at Crystal Lake is doom. You're going to camp blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. Never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. As Enos, the man who offered Annie a lift, drives her towards camp, he gives her some background on why the locals are wary of its reopening. As it turns out, it started in 1957, when a boy mysteriously drowned. A year later, two camp counselors were found murdered, and the killer was never found. After being dropped off nearer to camp, Annie continues on foot. Meanwhile, counselors Jack, Marcy, and Ned arrive at camp together, where they meet Alice, another counselor, and Steve, the camp's head counselor and owner. It appears to be the first time Steve meets these new counselors, though it's made apparent that he and Alice had already been working together to fix up the camp. As Steve and Alice talk while repairing a cabin's rain gutter, it seems Steve may be pressuring Alice to stay longer than she otherwise would in order to pursue an intimate relationship. You want to leave? I don't know. I may have to go back to California to straighten something out. Come on. Give me another chance. Stay a week. I'll get the place ready. By Friday, if you're not happy, put you on the bus myself. As the morning continues, we meet two new counselors, Bill and Brenda, also working to get the camp ready for opening. Steve assigns a few more tasks, asking Brenda to get the archery range ready and for all of them to get Annie started in the kitchen as soon as she arrives. Steve lets them know that he should be back sometime after lunch before leaving in his jeep. Ned, wanting to display his jokester personality, shoots an arrow right next to Brenda while she's setting up the range. Brenda, slightly annoyed at her attempted murder, shows her disappointment towards him. Would you come up here to help me or to scare me to death? God, if you do that again, I'm going to tape you up in the wall to drive. God, but I love that sexy talk. Later, Annalie finally lucks out and manages to hitch a ride from someone who also happens to drive a Jeep. Throughout the ride, the face of the driver is never seen, and they're largely unresponsive to Annie's excited talk of working at camp. Annie starts to realize there's something nefarious going on when they drive right past the road leading to camp. Despite the driver speeding up, Annie jumps out of the car and lands awkwardly on the ground by the road. As the driver stops and gets out of the car, Annie limps desperately into the forest yet is ultimately unable to outmaneuver them. 
back at camp, the counselors take a break from their labor to chill by the lake. Though their fun is interrupted when Ned starts to struggle in the middle of the lake and calls for help. As the group gets a canoe out to save him, Ned falls under the water completely. Brenda manages to pull him from the water and, with the help from the others, gets him onto the dock. With Ned still unconscious, Brenda attempts to give him mouth-to-mouth to save his rotten life. However, it turns out to just be another one of Ned's clever pranks when he goes to put his arms around Brenda. The sentiment from the group and the unknown killer watching them is unanimously one of disgust. It seems they don't know what a good, fun prank looks like, and that's another dub for Ned. Later, Alice goes to retrieve something from her cabin and finds a snake. She quickly calls for Bill to help, who happened to already be using a machete for bushwhacking. Hearing the commotion, the rest of the group quickly files into the cabin as well. I can't get it till it comes out. Well, call him. How do you call a snake? I'll flush it What ensues is complete and utter chaos as the counselors try to kill the creature, which they evidently don't recognize as the non-venomous and largely harmless western rat snake. After that catastrophe, the counselors see a police officer drive into camp, and he arrives just in time to see Ned running around in a knockoff Native American headdress, making oo-oo sounds with his mouth and hands. He's a true comedian. The officer, after interrogating the counselors for possible drug use and fun-having, says that he's looking for Ralph, the same Ralph that had warned Annie not to go to Crystal Lake. After complaining that he can't keep Ralph behind bars for more than a week without legitimate charges, the officer is called back into town. Shortly after, Alice finds Ralph in the walk-in pantry while she's preparing food. Ralph warns the group of what dangers await them if they stay at camp. This place is cursed. Cursed. It's got a death curse. He then leaves on his bicycle. As the day starts to turn to evening, a thunderstorm presses in and the counselors retire to their cabins. Jack and Marcy, not discouraged by the storm outside, get frisky in bed. Meanwhile, Alice, Brenda, and Bill decide to play strip monopoly to pass the time. Ned, being his classic prankster self, lies stone-cold dead on the top bunk over Jack and Marcy while they have sex, his throat having been slashed open. This was surely his best work yet. After enduring the incredibly awkward, yet somehow fulfilling, sex, Marcy leaves the cabin and heads to the camp's bathrooms to go pee. As any sane person would, she heads outside into the pouring rain barefoot and in her underwear, after putting on a thin raincoat. Jack lies complacently in bed, when a drop of blood falls on him from above. Before he can react, an arrow is plunged through his upper chest from under the bed, killing him near instantaneously. Marcy, still in the bathroom, hears something from the shower room. She goes to investigate but doesn't find anyone. But when she goes to turn around, she sees the flash of an axe blade, which she catches square in the center of her face. Back at Strip Monopoly, 
Alice, Brenda, and Bill are still having fun, Alice being the only person who hasn't had to take off much at all. However, Brenda realizes that she forgot to close the windows in her cabin, so she says goodnight to Alice and Bill and heads off for the night. Meanwhile, Steve gets his jeep stuck on his way back to camp due to the storm and the trailer he was towing. Luckily, a cop headed past him offers him a lift to camp, which Steve happily accepts. Having got to her cabin, Brenda closes its windows and gets ready for bed. However, she sits back up upon hearing someone calling for help. The voice is distant and high-pitched, almost like that of a small boy. As Brenda heads out into the storm looking for the boy, she finds herself at the archery range. Suddenly, the range's lights flick on, revealing Brenda to be right next to the target she had put up that morning. Her screams can be heard before the lights are turned back off. Bill returns to Alice after having checked on the camp's generator. Alice, a bit on edge, tells him that she thought she heard a scream that sounded like Brenda and that the lights at the archery range had been turned on. Bill says he couldn't hear anything of the wind, and when Alice goes to show him the archery range through the window, the lights are already off. Bill decides to check it out. I'm going to check it out. Bill, can I come? Come on in. And Alice, not wanting to be alone, goes with him. Brenda! Brenda! They check on Brenda first, but find that her cabin's empty. Where is she? More troubling, they find a bloodied axe tucked into her bed. Next, they go to check on Jack and Marcy, hoping Brenda's with them, but nobody answers the locked cabin door. Having looked all around camp and finding no one, they decide to go to the camp's office to call for help. When that door is also locked, Alice breaks through one of the glass panels to open it from the inside. Yet their efforts are for naught, as they find that the phone line is dead. Try the Having had enough, they decide to leave when the truck Ned drove to camp. But, of course, the engine won't start. What's the matter with it? With? I don't know. Why don't we just hike out of here? Just get out, right now. We'll get ten miles to the nearest crossroads. Steve will be back soon. We can use this, Jeep, if we need to get help. Don't worry. Probably some stupid explanation for all this. Like what? We'll be laughing about this tomorrow. I promise. The two decide to hunker down for the night, hoping they'll be able to go get help when Steve returns in his Jeep. Unfortunately for them, the cop Steve is hitching a ride with gets called to an accident and has to let him out early to walk the rest of the way. Not long after getting to the camp's entrance, Steve is accosted by the ray of a bright flashlight. 
When he gets close enough to see the person holding it, he relaxes, appearing to recognize them. He's then immediately stabbed. Later in the night, the power goes off at camp. Alice is already asleep, so Bill decides to go check on it on his own. Alice wakes up later to find Bill gone and the power out, so she goes to look for him. Knowing that he'd go to the generator, Alice heads there first. Having no luck, she heads back out. But when she closes the door behind her, she finally finds Bill, hanging off the door, arrows plunged into him all over his body. Alice runs back to the camp's lodge house and blockades the door in a panic. She then becomes paranoid that the killer may already be in there with her, but after looking, she finds no one. When she finally relaxes somewhat, Brenda's corpse is thrown through the window next to her. Alice, now even more desperate and distraught, runs back to the entrance where she sees the headlights from a jeep. Thinking it must be Steve, she haphazardly destroys her own barricade and runs outside of the car. But instead of Steve, it's an older, middle-aged woman in a knitted sweater. She introduces herself as Mrs. Voorhees. Well, I'm, I'm Mrs. Voorhees, an old friend of the Christie's. I can't help you if you don't calm down. But please. she's dead and he's dead and oh my god, poor Bill! Oh god! All right, all right, all right, come on, dear, then show. No, 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 but it's all right. I'll take care of you. I, I used to work for the Christie's. Oh god, what's going on here? Please help me get out of it's here. It's just this place and, and the storm. That's why you're upset. No, 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 they're all dead. They're all dead. I'll go look. No, no, please don't leave me. They'll kill you too. I'm not afraid. Alice pleads with her for them to leave, but the woman dismisses her, seeming to think she must be hysterical because of the storm. Upon finding Brenda's body in the kitchen, the woman seems somewhat saddened, but not at all shocked. She then tells Alice the story of a young boy who drowned at camp. The boy was her son, Jason. And he died because the counselors who were supposed to be watching him were too focused on each other. Steve should never have opened this place again. There's been too much trouble here. Did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. His name was Jason. I was working the day that it happened, preparing meals. Here, I was the cook. Jason should have been watched every minute. He was... He wasn't a very good swimmer. We can go now, dear. I think we should wait for Mr. Christie. Oh, that's not necessary. I don't understand. Jason. I am. You see, Jason was my son. 
and today is his birthday. Where's Mr. Christie? Oh, I couldn't let them open this place again. Could I? After telling her the story, Mrs. Voorhees pulls in a knife and tries to kill Alice. Alice narrowly escapes and runs off. She goes to the hunting lodge and tries to arm herself with a rifle, but can't access the ammo that's been locked up. When Mrs. Voorhees finds her, Alice trains the empty gun on her, but it doesn't seem to have any effect. After getting slapped around, Alice manages to knock Mrs. Voorhees down and runs away once again. She hides in the main lodge's kitchen pantry, but she's found again. After Mrs. Voorhees breaks into the door with a machete, Alice clubs her in the head with a frying pan and knocks her out cold. Alice leaves the cabin and walks down to the lakeside and sits there, hopeless. She's interrupted, however, when Mrs. Voorhees once again comes at her with a machete. Luckily, Alice is able to see her reflection in the water and narrowly deflects the weapon with a nearby paddle. She even manages to knock it out of Mrs. Voorhees' hands. After wrestling on the ground, Alice eventually manages to break free, and she makes a break for the machete. When Mrs. Voorhees gets up, she finds Alice charging towards her with the machete in hand. Alice slices her head clean off. Still filled with adrenaline and with no idea of where to go, Alice sets out onto the lake in a canoe. The following morning, Alice wakes up in the canoe to find cops arriving at camp. She sits up in the boat. It's finally over. Except it's not. The decaying man leaps from the water and pulls Alice under. Alice wakes again this time in a hospital bed. 
An officer standing by her tells her that no one else was found alive. She then asks about Jason, the one who must have pulled her under the water. But the cop says there wasn't any boy. There never was. Was there? Oh my god, Ian, that was incredible. <laughs> you you haven't lost your touch at all. No, I mean, you know, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah. You know, unlike this unscripted portion, uh, I was able to really take my time with uh, <laughs> re-figuring re- out how to do summaries. <laughs> uh, well, all right, Ian, see, uh, we both agree that this movie, while it's not like amazing on its own, it does hold a very valuable place in history. Mm-hmm. And it does act as a springboard for what would be just an amazing slasher genre. But yeah, we both agree that it isn't incredible on its own. So tell me more about that from your perspective. So you don't have to ask yourself. <laughs> I appreciate that. co-host. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, like uh, I, one thing I was thinking of is I, th- I think a big reason why it was held back is like it's trying to you can tell it's trying to appeal to like you know an edgy 1980 teen audience like there's some really strange things in this movie that make absolutely zero sense unless you look at it from that lens namely being like the uh the sexualization of 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 the uh, of the young woman <laughs> um of the story uh, i mean i think they're even supposed to be like teenagers but like they're i, I believe it happens twice where they walk out into the pouring rain in just their underwear and like a rain jacket. Yeah. Which from a story perspective and like a logic common sense perspective makes no sense unless you're like thinking, oh, they just want there to be less clothes because they want to appeal to that like edgy audience that like wants to see some scariness and raunchiness, you know? And I think that that was like a pretty common theme back with like some old horror movies where they would also like have women and like a lot of skimpy stuff because in the way that it's like the sort of way that they were edgy like horror wise aligned it's like kind of like porn and rock and roll they really have nothing to do with each other except the sort of like teen culture and perceived teen culture that kind of connected the two and i think that's what sort of happened here with like the horror and like the sort of weird not very well done uh like sexiness yeah uh so i will first off agree with you on the not very well done sexiness because like we've all watched sex scenes with our parents in movies and we've all sat there awkwardly wondering how in the world do we pass the time while the characters are having sex in front of us (laughs) Um, we've all watched game of thrones it's a family show you know but um uh yep that's right uh so but like i could watch this with my parents and not feel awkward at all because the sexiness was just done so strangely yep i mean they made kevin bacon not sexy that that was a mistake right there 
the whole time <laughs> we're just sitting there like, when do I get to see bacon? Am I right? Um, <laughs> but nope. But what I will disagree with is actually, I don't think it was, it was trying to communicate like this is teen sex culture as much as it was trying to like condemn it almost because a lot of what you see with these early slashers is you see that, um, very sexualized femininity Mm -hmm. and like just this like teen culture being hypersexual and we see people get punished for that and essentially it's just oh you want to do sex drugs and or alcohol then Mm -hmm. you're probably gonna die um i mean later on 96 we get scream that just kind of makes fun of that whole idea and because it was so innately just like baked into what the slasher genre was um, cabin in the woods, they mock it as well. We, it ends up just being kind of a trope of the genre is that that sexualization leads to death. It's almost like a warning, kind of like how, um, I want to say it was Kellogg's, but there was a cereal that was made just with the intent of being so bland that it stopped teens from wanting to masturbate because science, I don't know. Um, <laughs> like that was the whole intention of it. <laughs> and like, we're like, okay, yeah, that may, cause they'll go blind or something. I don't know. It just, it does come across as a weird attempt to say, don't do sex kids. So while I agree with you that there was hypersexualization, I don't think it was a reflection necessarily of trying to be edgy with the teen culture. I think it was like trying to condemn it in a way. I could see that. I mean, and I could also even just see that they sort of, that that's how they thought that they could sort of relate to that sort of audience is taking something that they perceived was very prominent in, in, in their audience. Like, you know, the, <laughs> these crazy teens all going around having sex with each other. I bet we can really scare them. Um, even if, even if it's not to actually scare them to stop them from doing that, but like as an, as like horror, like as the sort of artist's intention there to use that to scare them, right. Is like, Ooh, yeah. I bet I can spook them by sort of relating to them and like having like this fun summer camp theme, but then it all goes wrong. So I I could definitely see that as sort of their attempt to mirror what they did perceive as teen culture and then put a killer in there. Yeah. Um, So I, you know, that, that does make sense. Um, And, you know, as we agreed, they did it pretty poorly. (laughs) Um, What I will say is we get the early idea of, um, Oh God, I'm always, I always say it right, but like the Harbinger, Harbinger, I never remember what it is, but essentially the Doomsday. either. <laughs> I, I think it's Harbinger. I think it's supposed to be Harbinger, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of the same thing. This has been bothering me a lot. I'm sorry that you podcast listeners have to hear this now, but so many people have been messaging me. Um, I would have done this, like would OF done this <laughs> when it's supposed to be would have done this or would have done this like apostrophe VE. But because right. of the way it sounds, people say would of now. And I'm just like, stop. And then I can't text for the rest of the day. Um, Are you going to make a horror movie to scare people who do that? Yeah, honestly, I'm going to it's going to like include a little uh, like text bubbles that you see on screen to show people <laughs> are texting. And it's just going to be a series <laughs> of people saying uh, would of. And then there are other ones that are similar that I refuse to remember right now. It'll just be <laughs> people saying that and then promptly dying. Yeah, it would be like Quiet Place, except <laughs> it's like making grammatical errors is what's get you. And, and it can be written, too, or it can be signed. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they will get you. Oh, man. You even just, like, print out an essay with a grammatical error. 
<laughs> you don't know what you've done yet. You haven't proofread it. You like think in a run-on sentence. You just get <laughs> killed. <laughs> oh, I would be done for. I am guilty of thinking in run-on sentences. <laughs> oh, lordy. What is consciousness if not just a consistent run-on sentence in your head? That's, oh, my God. <laughs> and I don't know if we can do this to our, view, or our audience right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on. <laughs> um, all right, back on the topic. Yeah. So, yeah, they, it was a poor reflection of teen culture. Um, and then what I will say is you've got Tom Savini. And Tom Savini's he's just... He's just amazing. You know, you can't look at Thomas Savini's stuff and be like, that didn't do it for me. Sorry, uh, who does Tom Savini play? Oh, well, <laughs> so Ian and I were talking about this. Tom Savini in the movie is credited as playing Man the Knife Killer. That's without any punctuation. There's no comma to say, like, Man the Knife Killer. Or, like, Man quotes the knife end quote killer. Uh, it's... He's just credited as Man the Knife Killer. Who knows what that means? But Tom Savini is the special <laughs> effects artist, is really what his role is. Oh, okay. He, he does a lot of, like, the early slasher special effects. So, like, seeing Kevin Bacon get stabbed through the throat, seeing the oh, that was the awesome. Slash, right? Like, the, that's all him. He, he was a visionary of the time. And it's, like, part of the reason that this movie I can watch again is because of those effects... Because we've we've lost so many of those practical effects today, mm -hmm. um, or they're done with like such. It's gonna sound strange, but they're done with such precision that they l might as well have been done with CGI, if that makes sense. Um, right. We make a whole very lifelike body double for a person and kill that, and we're just like, so we might as well have CGI the person getting killed, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um. But these, like, they were done classic, they were done practically, and it's the kind of effects like that that I don't think you get to see today all too often that really, I just love seeing those, and they make me so happy. Yeah, and I think, um, I think there's also, like, you know, because pra practical effects and, like, CGI and everything, like, you can use both um, oh, yeah. as long as, like, you execute, like, a creative idea through, like, um, the methods that best fit it. Um, and I think also the thing about practical effects that uh, have usually made them pretty good is that it required people to be creative to get the effect they wanted. Um, and, and the thing, I think this, with the, how CGI works is even though you can have great, amazing CGI that really does uh, affect your audience the way you want it to, it's also really easy to do something that kind of gets there but doesn't quite <laughs> Um, it's easy to half-ass it and spend less money on it um, and yes. have it look decent enough. To build on that real quick, yep. I think that as... I don't want to discredit CGI artists because those people do insane stuff. And I've tried to do a little bit of what they do, and it's just nuts. So props to them. Um, what I will say is when you get CGI, the movie is handed to you in a way. It's your The idea of what they want to communicate in that scene is right there on a silver platter for you. And the moment that we see a scratch on that silver platter, we lose our belief of the movie. So when we do see that bad CGI, it takes us out of it. Yeah. But with <clears throat> these practical effects that anyone can tell are done um, with latex and pig's blood or whatever, um, they we can see the scratches. They're all right there in our face. 
it asks your audience to like loan themselves to the movie and be like, put themselves in like a suspension of belief state. And therefore I think we're kind of entering the movie in a different way than we would with CGI. Um, right. It's just asking for more audience participation and what they will believe. And I think that yeah. does a lot of favors for these early horror movies. I, I think you're totally right. You know, I, I think you could um, make the same, you know, I think people talk about that with video games too. Like the, the greater your graphics look, the easier it is to tell if something's just a little bit off. Um, and I think as soon as you're trying to really imitate realism, um, you reach a point almost like the, um, the uncanny Valley where, uh, you reach a point where it's so realistic, but because it's so realistic, because you're really trying to mimic reality and you're so close, it becomes that much easier to, to see, um, the little holes in it. You know, like there are certain movies where you look back at them, you know, that are pretty old and like, they're still, the, the effects are just as good. Uh, you know, there are some movies where, you know, you look back like a couple of years later and they're like, Oh, that doesn't look great. <laughs> I think it just, I think it comes down to like really the, the use of the tool and how that tool is used practical or CGI more than like the tool itself. Um, yeah. And, and these are very well here and they were so creative. Like the, the death where, um, Kevin Bacon, <laughs> I think his name is Jack in the movie, but you know, Kevin, um, where he's stabbed, you know, from the, from underneath the bed, like an arrow goes straight through like the bottom of his neck and it looks great. And it's so surprising. Like it, right. it was so well done. And the fact that like the blood dripped from over him and then they come from under, like it was just, it really like made you jump just because it was so unexpected in the best way possible. Oh, it was just great. And I love, I so I will say I love those moments when we get to see those kinds of things. There are a couple times in the movie, or one in particular, of, I forget which character it is, but she's in the shower, she's taking her shower in the middle of the thunderstorm or whatever, and <laughs> our killer ends up hitting her in the head with an axe, right? Ah, uh, you are talking about um, Jack's girlfriend's uh, Marcy. Marcy, was that Marcy? Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she Marcy ends up taking the axe to the face. And I thought that was the perfect moment just to have like a nasty sound effect in there. But then you mm -hmm. don't actually have to see her or like she drops to the floor and you see half her face, but not the axe half of her face. Yeah. Because um, the axe in the face, while it did look fine and everything, I thought it would have been so much more powerful to leave that to the imagination. I think the movie doesn't do that enough. It was very focused. And it's, it's hard to focus on like what not to show when you have Tom Savini because you want to see everything Tom Savini can do. Yeah. But... There's like, there's a beauty to letting your audience create it in their head as well. I, I think it was, it was odd too, um, because at some points they chose to show it and at other points they didn't. And yeah, I, I don't entirely know what it was, but the fact that that one being shown, I think it felt silly. And I think the difference wasn't sort of the intent of the scene. Uh, and you can compare it to a very similar one, which is where uh, Brenda... Um, she goes outside, she goes to the archery range, the lights are turned on, and then it, it cuts and you just hear her scream, right? Yeah. You know what happened. Um, and, you know, they'll reveal her later, um, just like they reveal uh, Bill later. They don't show him die. And it's because those, like, those characters 
were kind of like onto something, like just like the audience was. Like those characters mm-hmm. knew something was off. They could feel that something bad might happen. And uh, and then like, you know, something does happen. Uh, and then, you know, for Brenda, for Bill, like we cut away. And the, the difference for me, I, I think, and, you know, maybe it could be something else, but with Jack, he's not aware that he's about to get stabbed. Like he gets the slightest inkling from the fact that some blood drops on his plate, uh, on his face. Um, but he is going to be surprised just like the audience will be. And then that sort of, that makes the sort of, you're not just showing off that special effect or, you know, the practical effect of, you know, the kill. Like it is important to the emotions of your audience and your character. Whereas the one where uh, Marcy gets axed in the face, you can tell that one's just kind of a show off. You know, that you're just trying to show the effects off. You're coming up with an excuse to put it in. It doesn't actually lend itself to the story in that scenario. So I think that's the difference there. And this, this brought me back to the other kind of kill I wanted to complain about. It's not that the kill was bad itself or anything. It was in the body dumping. Because in every slasher, you get your final girl um, running around and she's finding all the bodies falling out of the cabinets. Um, <laughs> is it, dropping is from it the Brenda? Ceilings or whatever. Like being uh, shot through the window? <laughs> no, well, it was... um The issue was Brenda, she was in the archery range. And they had the whole setup of like... Because I think it was Bill who shot next to her earlier in the uh, movie. Ned. It was Ned. That was Ned, Ned was okay. the... Uh, the prankster jerk yeah. face. <laughs> ah, good old Ned with his borderline sexual assault. But, um, yeah, he like shot the arrow next to her. And I was like, that's amazing foreshadowing. Surely she dies that way. Mm-hmm. And then surely enough, she did, but we saw it off camera and then we don't see any sign that she was shot by the arrows. Not that yeah. I really recall or anything, but then it was, I was this bill or was this Ned that was pinned up against the door with a bunch of arrows in him. And I was, was like, bill. no, yeah, okay, it was Bill. And I was like, you got it backwards. Like, she should have the arrows and her on a target or something. Like, that, that bothered me that we didn't get the payoff for that foreshadowing too much. Yeah. It just, it it was set up so perfectly. I just wanted to see it. Like, well, just just show me that. That would have been great. Yeah, and, and I think overall their sort of smoothness with, like, the sort of reveal to Alice wasn't great. Don't get me wrong. It didn't like ruin the movie by any means, but I, there were just things where I was like, it fell a little short there. That's all. Well, I guess actually um, I, I do want to know what were some things in the movie that like pleasantly surprised you? Like that you saw and you're like, dang, that was like, I mean, I know we talked about, you know, Jack being stabbed to the like back of the, you know, his neck through the bed, which was awesome. But like uh, what, what other parts of the movie like um, pleasantly yeah, surprised you? Yeah, I'll say that the first blood, the very first scene we open up to, um, with the, our two counselors getting killed in the beginning. I enjoyed that just because I love the pause it takes on her face. And I was like, that is, that's so classic right there. Like today we'd have to see her brutally killed or something, I feel like. But just seeing her scream in terror and then we get to fill in the rest of just like, so he ended up doing terrible things to her with his knife. That, I loved that. And just cutting into the title sequence after that. And I loved, I think... I'm not going to say I loved it. I think I enjoyed the part where we see Steve Christie, the camp owner or whatever. Mm-hmm. He recognizes our killer for a moment and he's just like, oh, hey, it's you. I'm like, what are you doing here? He has a familiarity and I appreciated mm-hmm. that before he got killed. Those are probably the two things I'd point to that I enjoyed. But one of them leads into one of my biggest gripes with this movie. Oh, but no. I'll let- well- you hit me with what you enjoyed, and then I'll get into my gripes. 
I gotcha. Um, and I, I definitely agree with you, uh, for, um, Steve, like recognizing that. I mean, I think, I think that's, you know, I, I think they did a, I mean, it, you know, I think they did a relatively decent job of keeping the killer's identity, um, hidden and like keeping it just out of reach, you know, by either using a, a perspective camera, which, you know, I mean, it still didn't like a lot. Um, but I think, uh, like narratively, I think it did, um, a lot of good for keeping the killer hidden in a creative way. And yeah, I think as part of that, Steve recognizing the killer, um, before being killed, uh, and not, you know, being frightened at first, I think was really good, a really good clue. And I, I, <laughs> I will say I did find the, uh, the part where, like the first blood part of the movie when they zoom in on the face i do it's so it's so silly it's definitely classic but i i could not help but chuckle at that just because like like just like it it literally like it like freezes on that frame and then zooms in with music um but that is a good segue into one of my favorite things in the movie and that is the movie's score this movie has some amazing music Yes, uh, agreed. Like it's it's awesome all the way through. I love its um its like signature like breath part where it's like or whatever. I, I feel like th- that is one of the strongest parts of the movie. It very much reminds me of Psycho, especially during certain parts, uh, which is a good thing because Psycho also had an amazing score. Uh, so yeah, so that that's one of my favorite things in the movie. And then otherwise, like I think that uh, and like oh. <laughs> the the diversion of help i think was a really strong point um you know in movies like this you're always wondering okay why are they acting stupid why are they splitting up like why aren't they going for help this classic horror movie doesn't really do that when people actually realize something's going wrong and it makes sense that no one had until this point like once you get down to alice and bill and alice thinks she might have heard brenda's like scream they basically team up <laughs> And they go around looking for everyone. And then when they can't find anyone, they like go to the office to call for help. And then they end up breaking into the office. They don't just leave it at that. They break into the office to go to the phone and they find that the phone is dead. So then they decide to, that they're just going to leave. They're going to leave. They're going to get help. And so they're going to drive away in like the truck that Ned drove there. But, you know, the truck is dead. So then they decide, OK, we know that Steve is coming back. We'll wait for him here. And then, of course, Steve, it's great. Steve is going to camp and he's with a cop right because um the cop uh gave him a lift because his jeep broke down but hey guess what the cop is called in he has to drop steve off in front of the camp and he leaves and then steve is just there on his own and he gets killed so the movie has a great way of diverting help of sort of setting up um a sort of um dramatic irony in a way that we're sort of aware at like um, how the help is being diverted and how impactful that is, but the characters aren't aware. Um, you know, Steve isn't aware that it's it really sucks. The cop has to drop him off right at that moment. It doesn't bring him all the way there. Bill and Alice aren't aware that the phone wires have been purposefully tampered with, like all that stuff. Um, and I, I think that is one of the strongest parts of the movie uh, narratively is um, its ability to keep the characters from getting help. There's not a lot of like things you can point at and be like, oh man, they really should have done this. You know, a lot of it can be excused from like adrenaline or like other stuff like that. I think the with the exception of the fact that Bill at some point leaves Alice to go check on the generator when he knows that something's up. 
I mean, it does kind of fit with his character, so it's not bad or anything. But yeah, so I would just say that's that's one of the best parts of this movie. There is another really good part that I will talk about, but I want to let you tell me about your biggest gripe. So this is I think this gripe comes from the fact that this is an early slasher. Mm -hmm. We didn't really understand. I think there are two types of slashers. There are revenge slashers, which usually like include your icon or something. Um, You have your iconic character like Freddy or Jason or Ghostface or whoever. Um, And it's not your whodunit slasher, which Ghostface is kind of both. But your whodunit slasher is like, which of our characters is the killer? Um, Why would they want to do this? This movie... um, I think that by default, we kind of want to guess who the killer is, unless we know it's an icon slasher. They didn't have that precedent for them because they were so early on in the slasher game. Mm-hmm. So we eventually are introduced to our killer, like three fourths of the way through the movie. Um, And sure, they posed her as like, oh, I'm here to help you or whatever for like a few minutes. But we didn't get a chance to guess like, oh, of course, it's the mom of the kid that was mentioned at the beginning of the movie. Eh, barely like that kind right. of thing. Um, to the extent of like they even had to remind us when she's just like, I had a boy who went here many years ago. And I'm just like, you get it if you watch it. Again. <laughs> but the first time you're watching it, you're just like, OK, so this this woman here, I guess, is the killer. It, I wanted a chance to know who the killer first is all. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think it had a different impact when it was Betsy Palmer being the killer. And you're like, whoa, Betsy Palmer's here. That's great. Woohoo, Betsy Palmer. And then she's just like, I'm going to stab you with a machete. And you're like, no, Betsy Palmer, what are you doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> that that bothered me quite a bit. And like, it made Steve's whole... It, so I love that Steve recognized the killer, as I said. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it made me mad. Because like that's our hint that, oh, he's not afraid of this killer. He knows this killer. We know the killer. But no, you don't. You're about to be introduced to the killer, don't get me wrong. But no, you don't get to know the killer yet. Sorry we dropped a hint that of who the killer is without you being aware of your like roster of who the killers could be. Like we might have been like, oh well maybe it's the police chief we haven't met yet. Or I don't know, maybe it's the garbage guy that comes by every Tuesday. Like that's it was the same effect essentially. I, I totally agree. I, I think the only thing they really accomplished there was they did subvert expectations. But that's because they support their expectations of like expecting like a strong man or something. Yeah. And instead we get we get an, an like an older middle aged woman um, and like in a nice knitted sweater. Right. Yeah. Um, she's you know, she's not like wearing a mask or anything. She doesn't have like blood all over her. Like, you know, she looks very friendly um, and, you know, perfectly normal. But the thing is, like, you're right. You know, they had they had all this stuff set up for us to wanting to be to guess the killer, you know, like I even like looking uh, at the movie again, you know, when I was uh, writing up the summary, I could see they were even trying to drop hints that, oh, maybe it's Bill because Bill comes, you know, someone wearing a raincoat sh- uh, turned on the archery range lights. Um, and then, you know, they kill Brenda and then suddenly Bill's coming back into the cabin right after that uh, to see Alice. Um, and then he says he didn't hear anything, you know, a little suspicious. Um, what, what let this down is just like you were saying, like, uh, they introduced the killer so late that it doesn't really give you a chance to guess at anyone because you don't know the person. Um, and I think it would have really helped if they worked her in earlier, uh, such as, you know, having her be the one who drives, um, 
you know, Annie to the camp or something. Dude, um, I'm, I was I mean, going to say, Eno should have been the killer. That would have been better. <laughs> right? Like, you Eno's know, having... the truck driver. And, I mean, honestly, I don't even think... Like, I think they could have kept it... Um, her like i think that's fine uh because for that added you know subverting expectations too you know because i guess having the creeper creepy truck driver do it you know kind of isn't as super subversive yeah um but you know like they could have had her be like super friendly and like not at all assuming because it would have been pretty easy to do you know and you could have had her you know excitedly like talk to annie about you know how she loved camp and and then kind of you know, drop a little bit of like you know it's uh, you know such a shame what happened there you know I you know you can drop some hints there and then you know you'd have to figure out how you want to kill Annie at that point but yeah I feel like she really should have been involved earlier in the movie you should at least have seen her face and known she existed and was connected to the camp in some way before having the whole mystery occur yeah exactly we just needed to know her sooner and that would have done the movie so many favors yeah um I'll say real quick as a side note, Adrian, not final girl, or no, sorry, Adrian King is the, um, she's the actress, Alice Hardy. Yep. Not really, not really posed as a final girl. Adrian King did a fine job, like, playing her or whatever, but, like, story-wise, she just wasn't posed for it. Yeah. And granted, I think this was at a time when the final girl wasn't really a fleshed-out idea, but just wasn't quite there, and, and maybe hindsight's just twenty twenty, but... The big moment at the end of Jason leaping out of the water and grabbing her. She's finally killed Betsy Palmer. Mm-hmm. And this kid just leaps out of the canoe and just grabs her. One of the most probably important moments in the horror cinema. Yes. Because that that gave us like the franchise idea kind of. Like that was was like, wait, we need to see more of this now. And um, as I understand, this could just be like old lore i've heard about the movies or whatever but they did that because of carrie because in carrie we see like the hand pop out of the grave or something like that i believe Mm -hmm. it's been forever since i've seen it and i think the writers creators of it they were like hey we should do something like that that looks fun and so they put that in and because of that we now have jason today and that blows my mind like that's so cool that is really cool and that was actually my favorite part of the movie i was going to mention um is that jump scare because yeah. uh i don't know like throughout this entire podcast there's been very few scenes of horror movies that has actually made me physically react um it's not because they haven't been good you know yeah. and some of them i mean we got to watch the babadook again even though i know you don't really like it because that's a movie that really did legitimately frighten me um but like for this movie that jump scare like you know, I was watching this movie with Amelia and we both physically like clung our hands together and like, <laughs> you know, jumped backward from the TV of like, ah, <laughs> um, and, and, and it's done so perfectly because oh, yeah. y- you have like this building of music and it's a, and, it, and again, the music comes back such a wonderful score. Um, you know, like you have this climax of like, oh my goodness, she is safe. She's going to be okay. And then, you know, guy leaps from the water and uh, and pulls her under. And it is just it is so chef's kiss, like perfect jump scare. Um, They didn't like, you know, I know they did kind of just throw it in, but it works so well. Um, And like it really finalizes that sort of uh, imprint of 
of the events that occurred on Alice's character too, uh, which I agree, not really final girl material. And Amelia would have agreed because <laughs> Amelia was uh, uh, very intent. Um, Oh, and that Annie being she, the final girl? yeah, that she thought Annie would be the final girl, which I mean, yeah. I, I I would agree with. Would um, Annie really gives the vibe, which of course that could have been a subversive thing if you had like a better final girl, I guess, but or yeah. um, something no, else. She was but, she was killed too early for that to be subversive, though. Yeah, she was kind of killed almost like a sort of second first blood in a way. Um, I feel like she could have been utilized way better, even if she was going to be killed. And then, of course, that would give you more room to, you know, introduce the killer earlier on and actually have her drive her to camp or something. But, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. No, I'm right there with you for sure. Okay. Well, Ian, I think the time of the uh, podcast has come for us to move on to the surveys, if you're ready for that. All right. I'm ready. All right. Um, am Am I guessing? When do you I start will, guessing? You will be guessing. Don't worry. I'll guide us along this part. You got us in the beginning. I got us for this part. All right. Uh, I did forget to do an average, but I just did it in my head. The average is four. People gave this movie a four. And I can't blame them because my score probably would have been a 4.5 if I weren't giving this movie points for being so monumental in the history of horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like I said in the beginning, I gave it a couple points for that. So a four point five, I can I can get. Oh, I like a four. That, that seems a little harsh, but I can understand. They we also don't give them the options of decimals, much to some of their uh, dismay. But it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, we, we do get decimals. You know, that's just that's just one of yeah, the perks. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we need some perks, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I I do understand that. Uh, and yeah, um, honestly, like for me, I mean, I was kind of surprised at my own score of it, but I did genuinely enjoy watching the movie, which for me, yeah. I'm not used to that happening in classics like this, like Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I didn't, I mean, Halloween was better than Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but like yes, I didn't really sure. enjoy them, you know, like there were some good parts, but overall I didn't find myself happy watching them. Yeah, I um, still crack up about Nightmare on Elm Street and that whole moment of Freddy just during the mid chase, just yelling like, hey, watch this. And he cuts off his finger and like she stops fully for it. And I'm just like, I, I can do this. <laughs> and, and it I, still comes up I, in my memory all too often. <laughs> and I love that movie. Oh, my gosh. Now, that's a good classic, man. Um, <laughs> better than this one, too. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, I just generally enjoyed it. And it, I kind of put it at its cap. Because it couldn't possibly be more than a six for me because there isn't a single character in the story with like a monicum of depth. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're they're all just flat nobodies. And I just can't enjoy a movie more than more than a six out of ten if they don't have like any dynamic characters whatsoever. Yeah. And I mean, you... You look up any cast list or like who the star of the movie is. Everyone says Kevin Bacon because Kevin Bacon's a big name now. <laughs> he, the movie was not at all about him. No, he, he <laughs> was just very another much, kid there. He's just a side dude. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, no, none of them were really given that much. But the next our next question, how much did the movie scare you? Uh, for the most part, this ranges across like ones twos we get a four in there but 
someone did say a seven. This did properly scare somebody out there. So, take from that what you will. Dang. But here, Ian, is where we get to our paths of fear question. Ooh, okay. What horror aspect of this movie was the most effective? Which is great for a classic like this. I love the idea. Ian wrote this, by the way, so I'm not trying to pat my own back. But um, <laughs> it is perfect uh, because it wasn't anything in particular. It wasn't like the Babadook of like the fact it was a metaphor, which sorry for taking on the Babadook again. You mentioned <laughs> but, um, <laughs> oh, my phone uh, just went off. You'll have to add that out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it was the idea of the movie production itself. And so the three options we had were the soundtrack, the creative kills slash murder reveals, and the jump scares. Uh, mm-hmm. Which of these do you think was the least effective in the movie and that people were not about it at all? You know, the worst part is I won't even be able to edit out or cut down my time thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also Maybe the fact that. that I always needed to repeat the question. <laughs> What what are the choices? (laughs) Soundtrack, creative kills, murder reveals, and jump scares. Ah, Shoot. I'm going to say soundtrack because that's my favorite. (laughs) You think that's the least? I'm asking least right now. Shoot. (laughs) I'm going to say the creative kills was the least. Yeah, so it's creative kills slash murder reveals, just so we're clear. All right, yeah. I'll, I'll say that's the least. Okay. You are correct. That one, no one was scared by that. Everyone was... People spat in the face of this movie when it comes to creative kills and murder reveals, apparently. Yeah, see, the thing is, I thought they were relatively good, especially for a classic, but right, I knowing our audience, I felt that it wouldn't really hit them at all. Those spoiled sense of guns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, and then what do you think was the most effective between jump scares and soundtrack? I mean, I, I'm tempted to say jump scares, except there, that there's just one really good one. And then otherwise, pretty much nothing. So okay. with that in mind, I'll say the soundtrack because I think it has, you know, a greater effect on average throughout the course of the movie. All right. Well done, Ian. You got them both. Perfectly done. Hey, it's my first time back and I still <laughs> got it. Heck yeah, dude. Um, well, so yeah, people, people were stunned by the soundtrack. And that's understandable. So many like classic horror like we see um for example superhero knockoffs and they always reflect the justice league because the justice league is so classic in their superheroes Mm -hmm. i think the same is true of horror to friday the 13th friday the 13th is just like the epitome of a horror slasher and we always go back to it and like any soundtracks you hear that are supposed to be oh this is just it's a quick easy access for the viewers but this is a quick little horror movie is the as a breathing soundtrack like they use the i would do better if i could like get up to the mic but that would be disturbing um so i don't know however they do it i've heard it so many times now in different ways that like it could because like i said people replicate that it's true it's reminded me of the arrested development like doing the chicken oh the oh they are all so terrible at chickens. All right. So yeah, I I would agree. The soundtrack is just a classic of this movie. Um, now, what do you think held this movie back, if anything? So we've got a few responses here. 
Aside from horrible and cheesy 70s, 80s acting, the fight choreography between the last girl and Jason's mom was pretty awful. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it wasn't great. And I think that's because, like, today we have effects where you can quickly, like, slash someone's arm. And you we have, like, a little on a packet or, like, loose skin thing on their arm that pops out in blood. And we can make that happen. Back then, that wasn't as feasible, I don't think. Um, and... The acting, I've, I'm always so curious about the acting, because I think it was, was it fine acting for this time, or even at the time, were they like, that's some really terrible acting? I'm always curious about that. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, based on the movies I've watched around this similar period, um, I think it's okay. I think yeah, it's kind of average. Amazing. Yeah, but yeah, but uh, what I will say is the acting, I took weird notice of people end on a high note. It's always like, did you see the boy in the river the other day? Like it's, they have to end on like, yeah, I <laughs> hey, don't know why. Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Um, we, maybe I'll do the rest of the podcast in seventies, eighties acting style, just so we can understand. Just but so we can understand. Just, yeah. Just so you can understand what's happening. <laughs> Unlikable um, characters, lack of proper setup, poor fight choreography, uninteresting dialogue. Um, you know, uh, yeah, understandable. I mean, just to go off of that too, like I will say, the the fighting really does impact it pretty poorly, or I mean, I guess a lot, but in a bad way. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, the thing is, is that this is a killer who has managed to kill everyone at camp, right? Um, and <laughs> like she, and you know, been able to. I mean, yeah. I mean, she stabbed an arrow like through a bed, through a guy's chest. You know, like. Um, and that allows it to be subversive when it shows that it's, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, Mrs. Voorhees. Um, however, then when they actually have the fight scene, like, <laughs> you know, you just kind of have them. It, it, it looks like two people who have never been in a fight fighting where they kind of neither of them really know what to do. Yeah. And so they're just kind of like throwing each other around. And <laughs> at one point, Bet's, like, or <laughs> at one point. Uh, Mrs. Voorhees just starts slapping her like back oh, yeah. and forth, and it's like this will kill her. <laughs> Let me just keep slapping her, um, uh, and and like it, it's just it's very uh, you know like you're you're expecting a killer who is very calculated because that's what you have to be when you're setting all these kills up. But then as soon as she's on screen, she doesn't read that way at all. You know? Yeah. Um, she kind of just reads as like a you know, a, a person who's obviously not mentally well um, and has become very violent, but at the end of the day is still kind of, you know, a um, not a very, you know, uh, she, she doesn't exactly, she doesn't show like a gift for violence, I'll say. Yes. So, so yeah, so I think that does very much negatively impact the movie. Um, well, the next one we get into is it really needed to start with Jason's drowning instead of our first murder. If we had been given that context, the ending would have felt a lot more cathartic. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm not going to disagree with that. It needed a we needed more precedent, whether it was Jason's drowning in the beginning or not. We needed more precedence to um, Jason or Mrs. Voorhees being the killer. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um yeah, I, I totally agree. I think if you had had that and then like you also had the first blood and you almost made it look like they might be like connected, not connected in how it is connected, but like, oh man, did someone kill that kid in the middle of the lake? Like what did that? 
Um, yeah. Maybe make it seem like it's a swamp monster that's, <laughs> you know, come on Not land. Um, you know, but no, it actually turns out it's this mom of the kid who did drown. Um, so I think I think that's totally true. I think the movie does kind of, you know, and it sucks because they did have it there. It would just be a case of editing it differently to make that come to life more. Yeah. Um, thanks, though. It ended up being mostly about shocking the audience with creative kills and gotcha scares rather than centering the pain of seeing a loved one suffer and wanting to make someone pay for that suffering. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Good job. I don't There's not much else to say about that. <laughs> yeah it's so well so now we can't talk about the rest yeah. of it you know you, so, wait, you gave us nothing to work with if you could if you could just dumb that down for us next time <laughs> um how would you go about making sure this camp got shut down our first thing is asbestos perhaps and would that have worked i don't know if they cared about asbestos in this time period did they <laughs> when did asbestos yeah. go out of Style, I, you know, yeah, I think I don't think this camp in the middle of nowhere would have gone <laughs> would have gone down. I mean, it would be funny if the killer the whole time with it was asbestos. That <laughs> this was actually a PSA for asbestos. Oh my goodness! Like asbestos is just going around stabbing people and giving them cancer, I guess. And then um, the next one is similar. Find some legal hazard reason. Like there are tons of guns on the grounds. That never would have worked. I don't know how to tell you this. <laughs> But, like, people would write up to high schools with just rifles on the back of their pickup truck. <laughs> this no. is very different time. <laughs> it's in some ways, like, you could still do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that would not, that yeah. would not uh, work very well. Um, and they also locked up their ammunition, so, you know, good on them. Uh, that is good on them. <laughs> Sue them for negligently letting Jason drown. Mrs. Voorhees could have completely bankrupted Camp Crystal Lake. This brings up one of the things that was weird to me was that this um what was his name Christie? Um, yes, so Steve there's Christie. Steve. Yeah, Steve Christie's yeah, the owner. Steve Christie keeps investing. They said like twenty five thousand dollars into this camp. Where is Steve Christie getting this money? I yeah. need to know. Also, why is Steve hitting on one of his counselors? I feel like that's. that's I'm wondering the same thing. Yeah, like you. that that was such a strain. Like, and there was also no point to it. Of course, yeah. it, it never comes up again. Um, I guess the only thing being that he's like trying to keep Alice there. And he um, didn't so have there's to be like shirtless some... for it either. Yeah, he really didn't. <laughs> um, a great mustache though. Gotta say. Oh, I mean, very admirable. Honestly, best part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, no, that that whole thing, Amelia and I like both just that it's just like, why? Like, this, so uh, you, you've made this guy uncomfy now, like, and then we rely on him to come save them. Yeah. But like, he must be a shitty guy if he's hitting on one of his counselors. That is in high school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so weird thing to put on the movie. Next up is I would for sure want to avenge my child by murdering everyone I thought responsible. But I'm not a killer, so instead I'd probably burn down the camp when it was empty and then devote the rest of my life to psychologically tormenting the counselors who I thought were responsible. <laughs> I like that you draw the line at killing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Turning someone's life into a hellscape is fine. Yes. <laughs> but you wouldn't dare take their life. <laughs> <laughs> One seems like a lot more effort, too. It's... <laughs> I mean, I think the key is I'm not a killer. It's not yeah. like it's not like they're um, 
it's not like they are, uh, you know, saying that, um, like they're not saying they didn't wish they were one. They're just, they just know that they're personally not capable of it. Yeah. But I mean, hey, you know, some like some psychological torture yeah. over the course of a few decades. So, I mean, it reminds you know. me of um, that show Barry of Barry's offering how to like get back at this woman. He's like, we keep replacing her dog with the, a dog that looks really similar, but is slightly bigger. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about because I literally <laughs> just finished Barry. Um, <laughs> We should just we should just switch to talking about Barry. Oh, that'd be perfect. But like that, you are giving big Barry vibes right now. <laughs> that is that is some Barry vibes. <laughs> I I love that. Like, <laughs> we'll just we'll just you know we'll just do a little thing. We'll take pictures of her sleeping and then send them to her. Um. All right. Now into our next question. Anything else you want to tell us about the movie? So this first one. It goes a little long, so bear with me, because they had a lot to say, which I can appreciate. I gave this movie a three, because as a horror, it gets a one, and as a comedy, it gets a four. Youch! Okay, you're starting off savage right there. Holy dang. Um, one or two of the jump scares actually got me, I won't lie, but mostly it was just way too goofy to be scary. I was audibly laughing at the fight between Jason's mom and the last girl, understandable, who was so immemorable that I don't even know her name. Fair enough. Especially when she knocked her head clean off. Yes, that would be that's a lot of force she put behind that swing. I forgot about that. Um, best part I, of the movie was seeing young and spry Kevin Bacon in the nude. Woo! Mm-hmm. That's what um, I, I didn't get all of that because uh, Amelia um, was uh, incredibly, incredibly awesome and came in here with warm food and gave it to me. Ooh, warm food. So I'm feeling very spoiled right now. It. In the past, it's always just been cold food. Like they, they they cook up a steak or something, and they wait an hour. They, <laughs> they just they put it in the freezer. <laughs> They're like, "Here's your uh, steak yeah. popsicle." She's like, "Do a little better, and it'll be warm next time." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you make a lot of great points. Yes, the head coming clean off was pretty impressive. Good on you, Alice, for being able to do that with someone's spine. Um, I mean, maybe she should have been the killer if she has that kind of strength. Honestly, yes. Maybe that's the twist, actually. We see that in the second one. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean, in a way, you could line that up because, you know, she wakes up in a hospital bed. So, you know, you can really make the case that maybe she's a, you know, and like she saw Jason come out of the water, but maybe he didn't. So, I mean, maybe she completely made up Mrs. Voorhees. And actually, the spirit of Jason is controlling her and uh, had her, you know, pin up Bill. And then she went back and fell asleep on the couch again and then woke up and found, you know, you could totally do something uh-huh. like that. This next one, great response. You definitely know who's reading these. The best reason to watch this movie is for context for reading My Heart is a Chainsaw. Heck yes. You're going to <laughs> right. Um, speaking of which, I'm going to use our platform for a quick shout out. Yesterday, Stephen Graham Jones, some of you may know is my father, he got to interview Neil Gaiman. It was kind of a big deal. Kind of crazy stuff. There's a video of it out. Go check it out. Cool stuff. But little shout out aside. Given that the murderer was an aging woman and not a creepy guy, the gruesome murder of underwear-clad teenage girls were purely fan service. Ick. Yeah. Yeah. We we talked about that. Yep. Very good point. There was some ick. And yeah, yeah, the killer being that made a lot of... That does play into it. You're totally right. The ending rocked, along with the title and the poster, but it has always annoyed me how this movie seems to have higher cultural status than other better slashers of the same time period. Um, I want you to leave in discord if you can do it anonymously if you don't care to remain anonymous 
What slashes do you think were better at the time period? Because the slashes I see at the time period, I think, are of about the same caliber, to be quite frank with you. Some do some things better than others, but I feel like any of these, like, kind of 80s slashers are right around there. But that's yeah, just and me, if, maybe. And if we're wrong, that'd be great, because exactly. I would love yeah, I to see some better slashers. I want you to throw slashers. me a better slasher from this time, because that would be great. Um, our we, last we one can, is... We can do a vote on actually good slashers. <laughs> <laughs> Put gravy in there. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> damn it, we're not doing gravy again. Uh, I was really surprised how many first-time watchers weren't aware of who the real killer was, which made the rewatch fun. Also, if I was ever going to rewatch this one, just after reading "Don't Fear the Reaper" was a perfect time. Yes. <laughs> um, well said again. You get extra points for mentioning "Don't Fear the Reaper" as well. Oh, nice. Um, we have points now. Yeah, bonus points to Gryffindor. Um, I mean, <laughs> our audience members will have to keep track of that. <laughs> oh, dude, we should totally include a point system. How cool would that be? <laughs> <laughs> you asked a good question. Here's a point. We can take away points, too. Here's Iggy, a point. you lose all of your points. Um, yeah. And actually, you have to get points to recommend movies. <laughs> oh, you spin points. Oh, my, wait, Ian, you're on to something here. Ooh. You are on to something here. Okay, so. Um, yeah, that is a part of horror that I love about it is the rewatchability and, um, because rewatching with people that don't know it is so great. And I think that's what makes horror audiences like horror viewers, fans, some of the most annoying people for movie recommendations, because even if you don't like horror, they will shove horror in your face. And I'm guilty of the same thing because I am a horror fan. They will be like, please watch this one with me. I know you don't want to stay up all night terrified in your bed. But please, for the love of God, I need to see you scared of this. Um, yep. Because it's great being able to like vicariously be scared through someone and g- getting that fun reaction at it. I don't know. There is just that beauty of horror, I think. Um, and yes, this one is a great one for people that don't know the killer that expect Jason. Yeah, definitely. And and actually, and it kind of had that effect for me just because I I I honestly had no idea who the killer was when I watched oh. this. I had like a vague recollection that at some point jason's mom was like the killer but i didn't know that that was the original i thought that might be a sequel or something um and that jason was the killer in the first one uh so i didn't know um yeah and it's because of that jump scare that we got jason so it's just crazy cool stuff um any final words you have to say ian before we call it quits yeah let's see did i mess anything uh da 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 Yeah, it uh, <laughs> looks like we pretty much hit everything. Well, hey, yeah. <laughs> like, um, I have to like physically, physically look at my notes. Um, I, <laughs> you're good about taking notes. I wish I, I were better at taking notes. Even in school, I couldn't take notes. Um, let, let me. I'm ac- I actually I have to look over my notes more. Um, I feel so unprotected because I know I can't edit this out. So it's like completely up to you if you want to like leave me floundering here or not. And uh, I, you should know my editing style. I 100% will, Ian. I know. <laughs> um, oh, I do have a note here that says, snake scene makes us hate them all? Question mark. Oh, yeah, dude. Killing the snake was harsh. That guy didn't have it coming. He was just chilling, doing his snake thing. Yeah, I have. I don't know what they... 
like the only reason I could see narratively of them doing that is making us dislike all the people who are about to be killed. Uh, I think it. Yeah, I. I mean, I'm gonna write in the best narrative I can for that, which is it shows that they know how to come together to solve an issue, but that's about it. And then they're all separated and they die. But I don't know. <laughs> they you know how to come together yeah, until they die. That's pretty weak. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I guess it shows you that there is a machete. I guess so, and that. I don't know. Maybe it was foreshadowing for the decapitation. Yeah. Oh, uh, I do also. I do also have a note here. Uh, another really spooky scene was when uh, the killer's in the shower, and I think it's when I think it's when um, Brenda actually she's in the bathrooms for a little bit and she turns to leave, and we just see fingers poke out from be from behind the curtain, mm. and I'm like, oh yes, like more of that, please. That is so creepy. Oh, and I guess I, I did have one last note because, funnily enough, when I originally watched the movie, I missed I missed this. Um, but there is a lead up to Ned's death where, like, he sees like someone go into a cabin. He's like, "Hello," and then he follows them. Right? Yeah. I missed that somehow. I, I must huh. have like, zoned out for like a second. Um, so I only saw it when I was doing the summary for the movie. Um, but I like it so much more without it. Like. Just finding Ned suddenly dead on top of the bunk bed is such a good reveal to like begin like the beginning of the end, you know? Oh really? No, I didn't. I think I liked it. I didn't mind it. I like that we didn't see him die. We just saw him go. Yeah, like definitely. You know, I think it's just like a personal preference, honestly. But yeah. like, um, I I think I enjoy like the sort of like you only realize what's happening when it's too late and sort of to show that it's like, Oh my God, someone's already dead. Yeah. Um, and we you. didn't even know. Well, Ian, unless you have any one last notes, I think that concludes our time. No, I should probably stop it with the one last. <laughs> <notes>. <laughs> uh, if you have any, maybe I'll have one. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let you know. No, I'm, I'm fresh out now. We're good. Oh, dang. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, well, no, that was overall good for a classic. I didn't mind it at all, and it's a it is a fun rewatch, even though I have gripes with the movie. Yeah, it's you know it's it's for a classic. You know, it's pretty decent. Um, there are some pretty massive flaws, uh, you know, including some you know just some uncomfiness uh, with some of their decisions, but. Overall, yeah, it's it's an enjoyable horror experience, especially if you're looking for a classic. I would agree. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in. We're glad to be back. Uh, you can be expecting episodes from us more regularly. We're not going to do every week like we used to, because we'll die. Yeah. Um, but we do hope <laughs> to get them out regularly for y'all. That's, yes. that's what we'll say. And well, at least once a year. Yeah, at least once no, a year. Hell not. yeah. Every, every October... <laughs> We'll come at you um, every Friday the thirteenth of a month. Uh, it's yeah, perfect. All right. Well, fantastic. Thank y'all, and farewell. Bye.
Later in the night, the power goes off at camp. Oh, come on. Why's that got to be a loud truck right then? Okay, restart. The two decide to hunker down for the night, hoping they'll be able to go get help when Steve returns in his Jeep. Unfortunately for them, the cop Steve is hitching a ride with gets called to an accident. I already said this. God damn it. Later in the night, the power goes off at camp. Alice is already asleep, so Bill decides to go check on it. Later in the night, the power goes off at camp. Alice is already asleep, so Bill decides to go check on it. Ah, blah. Okay. 